Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the CAF America Radio Network, a production of the Charities Aid Foundation of America. As the leader in global giving, CAF America offers more than 20 years of experience and expertise to corporations, foundations, and individuals who wish to give internationally and with enhanced due diligence in the United States. Through its industry-leading grant management programs and philanthropic advisory services, CAF America helps donors amplify their impact. This show is dedicated to these donors and the charities they support. CAF America is uniquely positioned to serve as the bridge between these important partners and transforms vision into meaningful action. Guests on the CAF America Radio Network are leaders in their field who share tips for success and stories that inspire. Our host is Ted Hart, the CEO of the Charities Aid Foundation of America. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 914-338-0855. After the show, you can find all of our podcasts at CAFAmerica.org. Don't forget to dial 914-338-0855. Now, welcome the host of the CAF America Radio Network, Ted Hart. And welcome here to this latest edition of the CAF America Radio Network. We have a very important topic today. It's not all that often that the IRS issues new Treasury regulations. Specifically today, as we've discussed here on the CAF America Radio Network before, there are two protocols that allow for U.S. citizens to receive a tax deduction while supporting international projects and charitable causes. One is called expense responsibility, and our topic of today are the new Treasury regulations related to equivalency determination. Our guest here today on the CAF America Radio Network is Elizabeth Kingsley. She's with Harmon Curran, Spielberg, and Eisenberg, LLP. Beth has a BA from Oberlin College and a law degree from Georgetown University Law Center. She's a noted expert in areas related to nonprofit organization political campaigns, providing a full range of general counsel services to a variety of nonprofits, including private foundations, associations, community-based groups, national and international public interest organizations. More importantly, she's here on the CAF America Radio Network to help us understand these new regulations. Welcome here to the show. Uh, Elizabeth Kingsley. Well, thank you very much. Glad to be here. So, Elizabeth, um, the IRS does not issue regulations of this sort all that often. The initial proposed regulations were issued in 2012. Did the IRS make any clarifications on why it's taken three years for the final regulations? Well, they, they didn't explicitly address that question, but I have to say the the pace at which the IRS moves in terms of issuing guidance is not typically fast. So three years is, you know, not shocking to some of Soon, us. Sooner um, than most of us expected, I think. Uh, I think that's right. So and there are other Cap- things that have been hanging out there for longer. For I longer. So this, this obviously was something that required attention. It did, although one of the things I think that made it less uh, pressing for them was that when they issued the proposed regs in 2012, they said that private foundations could rely on them. Even though they weren't effective yet, they were proposed. Private foundations were allowed to rely on them for to be protected against potential penalties. So the, the donors who they were, were regulating with these regs um, weren't quite as, you know, as anxious to have it finalized as they might be if, if it had just been proposed. 
just proposed, right? Well, CAF America, as you know, has been conducting its operations based on the initial regulations since they were proposed in 2012. So most of the changes are um, pleasing to CAF America in that they're endorsing our current practices. But for the the purposes of today wanting to be informative uh, to all those who are listening uh, to the show today, what is new and how do the final regulations differ from the initial ones proposed in 2012. Sure. Well, and, and the, to be clear, these are the, the 2012 proposal was updating regs that are, are currently on the books and have been for years. And I think the, the biggest change is, so just actually to take a step back, in, in making international grants, doing an equivalency determination, um, a, do, a funder that is subject to those rules has to make a good faith determination and a reasonable judgment about the 501c3 equivalency status and the public charity equivalency status of the donee. Um, and the question, and so that's generally, if you make a good faith determination and reasonable judgment, then you are protected. But the question is, what what is sufficient? What qualifies? Is there a way to be absolutely sure the IRS will will find your determination to be adequate? And it used to be that you could rely on an affidavit from a grantee um, that made certain representations, and that was sufficient. If a grantee was willing to sign under penalties of perjury that certain things were true about it, you could rely on that and um, be protected against excise tax penalties. The IRS has taken that away as a per se sort of protective measure. It doesn't discourage the use of affidavits to get information about the grantee and on which to base that determination, but the affidavit alone is not going to be sufficient. Um, the other thing that's, that the new rules have done is to expand the class, uh, and this is not a change from the proposal, but the, the regs that had been on the books until 2012 um, required that a found and, and they only applied to foundations. We're still waiting for donor-advised fund regulations to be issued, but we know they can rely on this new set. Um, what they, what the old right rules said was that um, a foundation can rely on an opinion of counsel, an opinion of counsel for itself or for the grantee. Um, and the problem is that means typically the foreign grantee doesn't have U.S. tax counsel to give them an opinion about their status. Right, right. So the foundation, foundation A gets an opinion from their advisor. Foundation B now wants to make a grant. They can't rely on that opinion because it's not their counsel. And so right. that really raises the bar and cost for overseas giving. Uh, and now the um, you're allowed to rely on, first of all, um, it doesn't have to be legal counsel. It can be a qualified tra- tax practitioner. And it's clear that an opinion issued by counsel for one foundation can um, be relied on by other donors. Right. It, it, let, let's go back to the, the, the affidavit, because I think that is a very significant uh, change for a lot of folks who were doing what CAF America might have considered a little bit more like uh, equivalency determination light um, in <laughs> yeah. putting too much emphasis on uh, the affidavit, which, of course, CAF America never has. We've always um, substantiated the information and looked for additional uh, guiding information in making our equivalency determinations. 
From our perspective, this is a very important move to make sure that when you're you're talking about good faith determinations, um, it's not sort of a hope and a prayer good faith uh, <laughs> yeah. kind. It's it's that you really have done your homework and that you have done the due diligence in making that determination. I think that's really true, and it's all, it's clear that the opinion that an organization should rely on has to set out the facts. It can't just be an opinion that this is an equivalent organization. So you really have to do the sort of inquiry that the IRS would do if it were ruling on the exempt status of an organization. Um, right, and so it yeah. is a pretty it's a pretty high bar. I think one of the the other things that that we owe it to our audience to make sure that we clarify today um, is that working through an intermediary like CAF America provides additional protections um, in that uh, an organization like CAF America will take on full risk for making the grant if the grant is made through an intermediary like uh, CAF America. An organi- uh, another organization that might just offer a certificate or you might be sharing uh, the good faith determination that was done for another grant um, is certainly within the regulations, but requires the grantee to take full risk for that grant as well. Well, that's true. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, that, and that is the, the benefit of working through a, 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 an organization like Cast America, as you say, um, that, that you take on the responsibility of doing all of the due diligence and making the good faith determinations. Um, and right. that's, yeah, that is one of the real you, you, upsides. Yeah, you had raised. Um, yeah, I want to make sure that, that we just kind of clarify that because I think these regulations are very important um, in helping understand what are the best practices. So we see them really as sort of an endorsement of best practices that you know CAF America has had uh, in place um, for many years. You mentioned donor advised funds, and uh, certainly uh, the IRS is looking at a number of, of different issues where there may be additional regulations. There's certainly a number of years ago uh, as part of the Pension Protection Act were um, uh, issued a, a number of different uh, clarifying statements regarding donor advised funds. But donor advised funds are specifically mentioned in these regulations as well, um, clarifying what might have been seen as sort of a gray area. Could donor advised funds actually um, rely on these regulations or not? And they're specifically uh, in these regulations say, yes, they can. Yeah, they, they did. Um, well, that's true. Well, there was a lot of... Um, a lot of questions that donor advised funds are still waiting for the IRS to answer um, as they, they try to comply with, the, as you said, the Pension Protection Act. Nine years later, we still don't know exactly what all the rules are. Um, but this is a step forward in that it really does make clear that, that donor advised funds can rely on this the same way foundations can. Exactly. This written advice um, must be current, having a substantial factual basis and relying on legislation that is currently in effect, yet an attorney-client relationship is not necessary. Um, Is this a change from the proposed regulations, or can uh, foundations ensure that the written advice is current? Well, um, it is a change from the, the previous regulations in the sense, in the broadening of the class of, of the um, council on whose advice an entity can rely. Um, in terms of making sure something is current, I mean, to me, that's something that would ideally be addressed in, in the written advice, in the written opinion, because you'll want to know how long you can rely on it for. Um, usually, at least for sort of the, if, if it's if you an issued in a current fiscal year, it should be good through the end of that fiscal year. And there, there are actually two aspects to that because there is an issue about um, 
the C3 qualification, and that's less likely to change unless the organization, the grantee, really radically changes its activities. Um, but then there's the public charity status, which for those organizations that rely um, for that status, rely on the sources of income, you need to re-examine that every year. And there's a rule about how long you can um, rely on that, which parallels the, the rules for U.S. public charities. So again, clarifying the the, the procedures that this brings it closer to what it was really intended to be, which is equivalency determination. That you know, is this foreign charity ostensibly uh, in a good faith, um, uh, substantiated, validated way, um, uh, the same as and would qualify for uh, U.S. public charity uh, status. Would there ever be circumstances where the, um, the the current advice remaining valid for a subsequent two-year period after the five-year test period for public charities would that would that would not hold true? As lo- no, so I mean there is a, there is this two-year reliance period for for organizations that are subject to the five-year test period um, for organizations whose public status is not based on their sources of support. Um, you probably need to reaffirm that every year. So is it still a school? Is it still a church? Is it still a hospital? Mm-hmm. But that's a fairly straightforward process. Right. So it's not an automatic uh, – I think, I think my, my question was leading to it's not an automatic set amount of time. Again, it goes back to sort of what I refer to as the reasonable person rule, that you don't just do the determination and say, okay, there, it's good for two years. You really have to look at the the specific data related to that equivalency determination to determine how did they qualify and is that likely, again, to a reasonable person, is that likely to change within the, the qualification period? Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's something you would know you, you should evaluate at the outset when you're doing the initial determination, and then when you're following up, um, presumably, and, and well, Again, ideally, a funder will have had some engagement with the grantee and will know, you know, will have heard how they use the grant funds and they can, you know, have a sense of what program activities they've been carrying on and how they're doing financially and get an idea of whether the ground has really significantly shifted. I think it's also important if you could if you could speak to the point of the equivalency determination is an evaluation of the charity itself and the way that they do business and who they are and the kind of support that they have. So th- this is a pretty rigorous process that that uh, can take some time to accomplish. It certainly can, especially um, as you no doubt are very aware, when you're working cross-border with, with organizations that are not familiar necessarily with the principles of U.S. tax law, um, and not necessarily familiar with how charitable is defined for tax purposes, um, where there are language barriers, and you want to be really clear that they understand some of the assertions they're making about um, what they do and and how they carry out their purposes. So it's, it, it does take some work to really get together the information necessary to to make to come to that conclusion. 
most of us who are in this particular space within the philanthropic uh, community are aware of the fact that there there are some that are out there, unfortunately, who sort of you know bend the rules a little bit and, and might uh, uh, make international grants using what I sort of uh, refer to as sort of the smell test. Gee, it smells like a charity, kind of looks like a charity. We think it's maybe a charity, uh, and so they'll go ahead and, and make the the, the grant. Um, calling it equivalency termination because, of course, that you know we we use the the uh, um, the good faith uh, approach, but good faith approach has to be based on the substantiation of an actual review. It isn't just we really think in our heart of hearts we have faith that they are a good charity, right? Can you kind of speak to how important it is for particularly, I think, you know, corporations and individuals who are, are looking to meet the regulations to ask a lot of questions and look under the hood as to what kind of equivalency determination is actually being done here? Well, that's right. It really, yeah, to, to, um, to be able to rely on these rules and to, to properly be making grants to foreign grantees, um, that are considered charitable for U.S. tax purposes, you need a really substantive factual inquiry, actually factual and legal inquiry, because there are um, questions you have to ask about how the organization works, what its purposes are, what its operations are, who it serves, um, how it makes available its services, um, and that sort of question, as well as understanding some of the more technical things um, such as whether it is allowed to engage in substantial amounts of lobbying or in political campaign intervention, which you know a lot of a lot of other countries do not necessarily directly address that in their laws in the same way that we do. So, so really drilling down and understanding how the organization operates and what rules it is subject to is a non-trivial inquiry. Which is again, it's a good re- good thing that the IRS is making it. Easier, and it's good. Good thing we have things, uh, organizations like Half America that will do that once, and then allow various funders to be able to um, support grantees, so that you don't you don't have to reinvent the wheel with respect to each foreign grantee that you're you're looking at. Yeah, I, I think I and, and if you can um, sort of weigh in on this, I sort of see these regulations as not necessarily making the equivalency determination process easier, but um, making them more accessible. Um, because it, it really seems from our perspective at, at CAF America that this is a set of regulations that, that really sort of hardwires the best practices. Right. That's right. I think when you say it's it's not making the determination easier. I think it, if anything, is, I mean, it made it a little it harder, and I think not necessarily in a bad way, as you've highlighted, by removing right. the reliance on the affidavit. You can't just have a foreign charity check a bunch of boxes that say, yes, I'm not allowed to lobby, yes, I'm not allowed to engage in political campaign intervention, when they don't necessarily know what those terms mean, and say, okay, we've well, done our due diligence. You- I'm so glad you said that because I think that that's one of the substantial things that you know corporate executives and philanthropy executives, individuals, home offices, those who are looking to support charitable causes outside of the U.S. need to understand that 
that's one of the reasons why the change was made, because we're literally asking charities in another country with a different set of laws and cultural norms to answer questions that are very relevant to U.S. charities, that are very relevant uh, to the U.S. philanthropic sector, but may have very different meanings or may be interpreted in very different ways around the world. And that's where it takes a professional, um, you know, like working with CAF America, and, and, and you certainly are, are actively involved in supporting our efforts, uh, as an expert in this area, it takes that kind of deep due diligence to make sure that you get it right. Well, that's right. That's right. And it really, it's clear now that in order to have the legal protections, the technical protections under the income tax regs, um, there, there has to be a factual inquiry and written advice that includes facts sufficient to allow the IRS to confirm the determination. It's not, yeah, it's not just a checking the box and putting a piece of paper in the file. And, and you're bringing up the, the sort of the, the flip side of this is we now have these regulations, and part of what what is important about these regulations is that when you follow them, uh, you are then compliant and have legal protection to the grant that you've made. And 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 I'm I'm going to share with you a scenario, and 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 I, I think I know the direction you're going to go in with this, but just just for purposes of our listeners today, we're aware of uh, unfortunately um, some uh, uh, who have made grants who have sort of taken a look at the fact that CAF America is known for having sort of the gold standard in in, uh, due diligence and vetting of of, uh, projects and charities, where they'll say, well, we're aware of the fact that CAF America made a grant to that charity, Mm -hmm. um, so it must be safe and it must be okay, and so we'll go ahead and do that. What's the pitfall of that kind of sort of backhanded, back alley way of of making an international grant? Well, and it's, it's very flattering to you, no doubt, but it um, it doesn't give them the protection. So there is there, there it is not a good faith determination just to point to someone else and say they must have made a good faith determination. Um, they are allowed to rely, you know, an opinion of counsel can be shared with multiple funders, but you can't just sort of rely on the fact that that other funder must probably have gotten an adequate opinion or done its due diligence and conducted a factual inquiry. Um, so I don't need to worry about it. I mean, that's that's one of the problems of the old regs that has been partially addressed. But it, it and, and we're so really pleased to, to see that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because we we really kind of feel like it, you know, sort of sort of puts those sort of you know ED light groups out of business because anyone who cares about having legal protections and and protecting the charitable contribution uh, deduction that that they've earned by going through um, and meeting the standards of the regulation, all of that's wiped away if you don't in fact follow the regulations. That's exactly right. Yeah, it doesn't it, it doesn't give you protection. In fact, it's not. I mean, there's there's two levels of protection. There's the sort of, you have met this, what's called the special rule that the IRS will presume your determination was made in good faith. Um, But if you haven't done, you can also be under the general rule, which just says any sort of good faith determination. So that doesn't necessarily require an opinion of counsel, but it requires something, something fairly substantive from the organization. If you haven't even done that, you're not only are you not covered by the special rule with the, the favorable presumption, you haven't made a good faith determination, so you're really subject to penalty taxes. And pretty substantial penalty uh, taxes for for getting uh, for getting that wrong. Now, yeah. Treasury is allowing a 90-day period for foundations to comply with this 
uh, change. Um, so I, I guess there's sort of a, a window where those who have not been in compliance, um, it's really uh, a call out to everyone who is uh, doing international grant making to check with whoever your provider is and really use these 90 days to look under the hood to make sure that you understand what kind of compliance you are actually being represented for. I think that's that's absolutely right. I think that um, it's important that the 90 days is, I mean, it makes sense. If you've already got a grant that's in the pipeline that you're about to issue, you've made a commitment or you've made a, maybe a non-binding commitment, and suddenly the rules change, it would be really unfair to just shut that down <laughs> automatic, you know, without, mm -hmm. without any right. warning. Right. So a transition period is good, but the transition period should be a chance for foundations to really move so that grants they are making after the end of the 90 days definitely comply with these regs. And it takes some time to get that regime in place. I mean, 90 days is a fairly short period of time if you haven't been doing the factual inquiry and the due diligence. If, right. For any, anyone who's just been relying on an if, affidavit. If you haven't been doing exactly that, yeah. Well, and, and we can we can tell the difference here at CAF America because we've been getting so many phone calls uh, from folks that maybe have had in the back of their mind, I wonder if the process that that uh, that group that's representing that we're making our national grant making and 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 doing that for you know n almost no charge at all. It's very simple. It's easy. It's our start. I have this period of time to question to say, you know, it's a pretty complicated set of regulations. Is it really able to be done in a couple of hours? And it is <laughs> able to be done for no almost no fee. How do you answer that? Well, it's it's not possible to do it in a couple of hours. I mean, it really, you know, it it requires specific facts. It requires back and forth with the grantee, um, and it requires legal analysis. And I mean, I, while it is true the regulations have now expanded the class of practitioners who can who can give that opinion, so it's not just a lawyer, but it still has to be a qualified tra tax practitioner. It can't just be someone off right. the street who says, "Yeah, this looks like a charity." Yeah, it looks like charity. I'll sign off on that. I mean, it does have to be someone who you who could stand behind the determination that if there's an audit or it's called into question, whoever is providing that service has to be able to answer uh, very detailed questions about how the determination was done. And the fact that you did no review and gathered no information is not going to uh, look well in front of uh, the IRS. That is not a good faith determination or a reasonable judgment. I mean, that's just not. Right. So final analysis, we have uh, just a, a couple minutes uh, left. Let's sort of summarize what has happened, what, why is this significant, and for funders who are looking to uh, eliminate risk, uh, are looking to ensure re regulatory compliance, um, and let's face it, protect the, re the reputations uh, for uh, getting it right, what do these regulations mean? Well, these regulations provide a clear pathway. Um, the, the, there's a clear definition of what you need to do, um, what kind of opinion you need to get, that it does need to be in writing, that there's a certain group of people who can provide it. Um, it. It clearly requires a factual inquiry. And so going through that process or working with an organization that knows how to go through that process is going to offer the protections of the presumption that you have done the right thing and 
even if the IRS comes in down the road and looks really closely at the foreign grantee and says, you know, I think your judgment was wrong, you still get the credit for having made a good faith judgment on the question. Uh, and therefore avoid penalty taxes. And penalty taxes, which, by the way, apply not just to the organization, but potentially to its managers who approve some of these things. So That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, you know, personal liability is something that most foundation managers will want to avoid. Um, and so following exactly. this so roadmap, it really does matter you that you get it right. Absolutely. Yeah, it really does matter that you get it right. Good faith determinations, I, I, I almost kind of feel like, is is a little bit of a of a misnomer um, because it takes more than faith uh, to get this done. <laughs> um, and it, it, it really does take uh, a lot of effort and skill. And uh, uh, certainly um, you bring that uh, to the table. We've enjoyed working with you and the expertise uh, that you bring to helping um, uh, support the CAF America uh, program. Elizabeth Kingsley, you have been a fountain of information today. We very much appreciate the expertise that you bring uh, to the table, and I think together we'll continue uh, to set the standard for good uh, uh, equivalency determination and superior international grant making. Thank you so much for being my guest here today on the CAF America Radio Network. Thank you very much, Ted. You've been listening to the CAF America Radio Network. Tell all your friends and colleagues to check out our production schedule. Sign up for our free newsletter and download our iPad and iPod-friendly podcasts at capamerica.org. Thanks for listening to the CAF America Radio Network.